Welcome to the Concept 101 podcast. My name is Daniel. Jules. Stefan. We are three concept artists currently working in the film and games industry, as well as the organizers of the Concept 101 event in London. So welcome to today's episode. Uh, last episode, we were talking about the event and other events we've been to. Now we're returning, we're returning to our normal format of uh, each of us just bringing random stuff to the table uh, to scare each other. Um, you mean the special, special Halloween podcast, which is tomorrow or something, but for oh, you it's going to yeah. be is going to be like two months ago or a yeah. month ago. What? This is not a special Halloween. I know it's a joke no. because Ooh, he said it would be scary. It's so spooky. Stefan has dementia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, what a powerful start. Yeah. Nah, I'm fine. Um, so, I mean, yeah, subject. you're kicking us off today, yeah, baby. Yeah. Let's Let's go. Go. So my subject is a subject that's been requested a few times. From Surprisingly. So yeah. Actually, this is something I thought nobody would ever want to hear about. But hey, look, for the people who asked, this one's for you. Which is um, a day in a concept artist's life. So what do we do? How many times do we brush our teeth? How many times do we go to the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so like, yeah, what do we do? Um, I think it's quite good because we can talk about video game and movies. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I so, mean, when I wake up, I like to put on my just, concept artist hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I, and, and that I, gives me plus one for art. Um, then I put on my concept artist jacket. That yeah. gives me <laughs> plus 15% technical ability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I kind of stat max as much as I can yeah. to improve my skills. It's very important. You need to read your, your, you need to eat like some, some sort of food that buffs your ability for a few hours. Yeah. You're more creative. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... What do you do in your in your in your life, Stefan? What do you how do you work? What's I, your what's the <laughs> what's the most cliche Stefan's day? Uh, yeah, it's I go to the gym for ten <laughs> hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably, yeah, I, I wake up around I don't know. Oh fuck! I think like I think you so just many talk people. About your actual work. I don't yeah, think you need yeah, to talk yeah. about. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't want people knowing exactly how my like life goes. Uh, I don't know. I. I do go to the gym in the morning. No one's going to stalk you. I think you're okay. <laughs> I do. I do wake up early. I go to the gym. I go to work. Um, and, you know, I am very lucky to walk to work as well, which Ooh, is yeah. super nice. Uh, helps me kind of like get ready. Uh, whilst I walk there, I'm like thinking like, oh, okay, what do I have to do today? And if I'm not motivated at all, then I, um, then it gives me a little bit of time to think like, how am I going to get back into it? So yeah, I arrive at work maybe like 9 30 ish something uh usually and then i just that start. doesn't sound on time yeah <laughs> no no no. i track up there so no, i track up there is uh, core hours between 10 and 4 um so that's the hours that you have to be in the office and all the other hours you you just you have to work but like you decide when you do them essentially you can do them like at midnight really uh but i mean no person would uh, do that i mean some people maybe um but i generally just like i arrive around 9 30 and then just like leave late uh between 6 7 i mean sometimes i'm at office late daniel definitely knows that i come home quite late sometimes i'm sitting in the dark and when he comes through the door i turn on the light and i'm addressing it and i go where have you been <laughs> i'm holding our child i say he hasn't eaten in days <laughs> and if you if you follow last podcast they're holding hands as well and we're holding hands. no we're not holding hands at that point because i'm mad because he came home uh, from i'm like who are you with like that. yeah um what yeah. was the name of the kid i, mean, I don't um, really know concept art one oh one. Okay, so I don't really know what I can talk about really because just talk about invagity. Okay, let's talk about invagity. So we once I get to work, usually we have like a morning meeting or something. That mm-hmm. I'm pretty, pretty sure this happens in every company where you just discuss what you are going to be up to this day. Uh, sometimes these things can happen with the not just with your own team, but like with other teams as well. If you are involved with working on certain things with like, let's say the game design or whatever you're working on, sometimes you're more involved with different teams in different stages of game development. Um, so yeah, you'll, you'll have your morning, uh, discuss everything. Sometimes a little bit of brainstorm. Sometimes you'll break off into meetings after that meeting to like keep discussing things. At least if someone needs help with a concept or whatever, we'll do that. Um, Certainly happens, uh, and then probably by not by like 10, 10, 20 or something. I don't know. That's when you really start to get into the work. Um, and I take my lunch break around one. So I so between ten twenty and like one, I do. I try to get majority of my pong. work. You play ping pong. I do play. Then you have a nap. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't have nerves anymore. <laughs> anymore? <laughs> uh, no, but essentially that's when I kind of get into my work. And that's why he's leaving the office so late because he's just yeah. sleep. <laughs> he wakes up like, oh shit. Yeah, I work to do. <laughs> no, so and then I have my lunch break at one and then I do play ping pong during my lunch break, actually. I eat my food and I have like another 30 minutes left usually. So I play ping pong or play pool. Uh, at work. How and are you the, so bad at ping pong for all the time you play? I'm pretty okay. I won Juan last time, you know. You won Juan? Yeah, for one hour we were playing. You won him for an hour? <laughs> no, we were... What, what do you mean? We, Is it, you you won, it, right? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Won, you won against you won, Juan. I won against Juan. <laughs> oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. I won against Juan uh, playing Who ping pong. was my, my own boy for an hour? Nah. All mine. Yeah, so... We play uh, ping pong if we have a little bit of left and of time, and then I uh, start work again. The thing is, like to be honest, from like what I've noticed from productivity standpoint, that I am the most productive, kind of like after my lunch break. So after like maybe two mm. thirty, uh, between two thirty and like six, uh, is when I really have time because then is I'm less inclined. Like I don't need to do as much talking to people I don't have to like syncing sync up with them usually I just that's when I really am kind of creative and I mm. do a lot of my work um in that time at least right now that's how it is uh and then by you know by the time it's six I start to get tired and if I still have some stuff to do I usually would like to have something more easier than just like design thinking because if I mm. have to do like a lot of design at like six then it starts to become more difficult um yeah I don't really have uh like I get a task and then I do this because my tasks are always kind of random and they usually take qu- quite a bit of time. So but you also, you never finish uh, like, you know, that whenever you finish one task, there's always a the next task to go yeah. to, which is different for us. Yeah. Mm. I always like, as soon as I'm done with a task, like even now I'll probably be finishing a task maybe on Tuesday or something. There's already like more lined up tasks. Yeah. Um, so, and, and even if I finish those, I'll just be put on to more exploration. I think like when you're at the beginning of game dev or even in the middle, even towards the end, like almost no matter what, if you're an in-house concept artist, you'll have just tasks upon tasks upon tasks, you know? Mm. Yeah. So mm. that's, I don't know. That's it pretty much. I mean, that's how cool. it goes. Yeah. What about you, Daniel? Um, well, I wake up, um, <laughs> you put on your and the other side of my bed is cold because Stefan's already gone to the gym. <laughs> I and cry. Concept 101 is crying. Yeah, so, yeah. Concept 101 is crying. So I feed <laughs> Concept 101. Um, and, and then I wait in the dark until he comes home. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think I have a... Well, it depends. Like, So me and Jules have like uh, similar schedules, which in, in the case of like, sometimes we go to the office. So about once a week we go to the office, um, which yep. might become more in the future, but we're mm-hmm. kind of testing it out at the moment. Uh, but generally I work from home. So yeah, I just like... Once once I'm up, I think my main thing is like you were talking about being productive at certain times a day. My main thing, especially with deadlines, is I want to wake up and get as much of it done as early as possible. Yeah. Because um, especially with film deadlines, so I think the difference between games and films that we should we discuss a few times before is the uh, time periods that things te- kind of take. So you have usually have less time to complete a task, and so. I find at least working in-house is really important to make sure that you have the time to have multiple levels of feedback throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So that's why, for example, if I'm uh, doing a keyframe in the morning, I'm going to try and get it to a point where I can then show it to the art director who's on task and say like, okay, what do you think this needs to do? If I'm at the stage of like just finishing my 3D, I'm going to say like, is this good? Do you want me to render it out? Do you want me to change the lighting? Do you want me to add any more items in before I light it properly? Blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of um, stack my tasks throughout the day in a very kind of, um, I don't really know the word for it. I guess like it's a very layered approach. It's just like I have to do my 3D. Okay, the 3D is done. Do I need feedback on this? Yeah. Do I need it? Or question, do I need feedback or do I need to get it approved, which is mm-hmm. a big thing mm-hmm. in the film industry. Um, once I've got it approved and or edited, I send it back to make sure again that it needs that it's good. Then I'll complete the next task yeah. and then so on and so forth. Uh, as the day goes on Be- because the tasks we have to do are probably uh, shorter yeah. like we have shorter deadlines than in, in other industries it's like is it going to be worth my time to, sp- to to paint over this render for two hours now Yeah. or should I just call the AD in, 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 in a meeting online 
get his point of view. Yeah. And that way, I know that either I go back half an hour in 3D to fix it yeah. with the feedback, or I can indeed spend two hours yeah. um, to spending time to, to photo bash it. Yeah, I think what you're saying is like, it, it's very important for film because of the deadlines, right? To just make sure that every stage of it is confirmed. Really. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you spend, like you said, two hours painting over it, and then you head off to your morning meeting, you show your work to the team, mm. and then they all look at it and they go, uh, I'm not so sure about that. And it's like, and then you have to go back and change the fundamental stuff. Like mm -hmm. waiting even an even if you have to wait an hour for a meeting to get like somebody who's available to look at it, mm -hmm. it's better than wasting two hours of your time doing stuff which might not get approved mm -hmm. and might just get revoked immediately the mm -hmm. second it's actually seen yeah. by somebody. Yeah, or just getting options in yeah. front of the yeah. people's. So, so I want to ask, like, is that you say like you call the AD, are these the ADs that actually work on the show or are, are they the ADs? No, so depends on the or, Yeah, or, depends or, on the like, I was just asking if you've been in contact with the ADs on the... On the oh, do you mean like client side? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It yeah. depends so, a lot on the project. Yeah. But usually we work internally a lot and mm. then we have deadlines with the client. Mm, okay, so it's, yeah. let's say, let, let's say a project, a imaginary project. Okay, someone like the producer tells me, you on this project now, you're going to have a meeting with a client. Mm. Then we have the meeting with the client, the client gives us the brief. After that, we're probably going to have another meeting internally with the ID and with the head of the department and all that yeah. to kind of figure out what we're going to do. Mm. And also when is the deadline? So in three days, we'll have another meeting with the client and we need to have all this done yeah. for now. And then I'm pretty much free to do whatever I want during those three days, as soon as I hit the mark, <laughs> as soon as I have something to show, right? Yeah. And each day there's like a few meetings, which are no matter what's happening, uh, where we get feedback. And on top of that, mm. we can call uh, or we can request. I mean, we don't request. We just reach out to the, to the, the, the AD to get feedback if we don't want to wait longer to get feedback. So another question is like, how available are your art directors? I'm just yeah, like, very, very. So I, I like you message them and instantly they're like, let's, let's well, It chat. depends if, not instantly, it depends if they're in a meeting, but I think generally everyone we talk to is really great about yeah. getting back. Cause I think it's the central part of the job. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's the same as like when I was saying like, it's better to wait an hour for a meeting than wasting two hours of your time yeah. because, and it's the same for them. Mm. Like they want you to get things done efficiently. So they will be available as soon as they can to mm -hmm. deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. And or like, there's definitely projects I've been on mm. where I think where I was on them long enough that I eventually developed uh, uh, maybe a slightly better understanding than whoever was art directing it mm -hmm. on what was required by the client because I built up a good relationship with the client. So in certain cases, there's definitely been a project I've been on where I've been I've like contacted my AD on the project. I've been like, hey, what do you think of this? And they're like, why are you contacting me? Go away, it's fine. <laughs> um, that doesn't happen every time. And I think it also depends on the kind of direction style of whoever's in charge and all these different things. But it's um, it's an interesting process because yeah, everything has to be approved as you go along to make sure that everything is, is as time efficient as possible. Also, I think because of the type of projects and colleagues, the, the, kind, of, the kind of level of expectations that we're operating into, yeah. there's there's maybe not that much feedback needed most of the times because it's like known that... You're already at a skill Yeah, it's like, it's like or the, the, the feedback is more detailed or it's maybe it's like there's a little brief misunderstanding and that kind of stuff. But usually the feedback is never that deep into quality of art, yeah. but more into quality of fitting the movie or yeah, fitting yeah, the yeah. brief. Totally. Um, so I don't think I ever got painters. It's more like we go in a, in, a, in a call and we just chat about it or, mm. uh, or yeah. I've definitely got paintovers before. Yeah. But it might just be because I'm a bad artist. <laughs> oh, but, I, yeah, I've probably got paintovers, but not, not why I'm not. It depends. I think, I think, again, it depends maybe on whoever. I think, yeah. It depends on who's directing yeah. and, like, their own personal look and what they like. Yeah. Um, you know, like, there's definitely people I've worked with in the past who have a preferential style that they mm. like to see sent clients for certain things. Yeah. And so they would definitely be like, hey, you need more rim lighting here. You need more bounce on this. You need to change this design here. But again, I think it depends mm -hmm. on the timing and how long people have and all this other stuff. Yeah. I was I was going to say, like, I certainly don't feel like that's the case in games mm -hmm. always. I think, like, because our director in games does much broader of a job where like the art director in games essentially is like the production designer in movies almost like it's yeah. it's, it's like this the art director will be responsible for 
majority of the creative, mm. uh, like artistic vision of the of the whole game. Obviously, still will be answering to the higher ups in the game company, depending on again like on the management style. If some if there's like a creative director or something, they might want to have our view. Um, but in that sense, the I believe that the art director ideally is not the one who spends the time of artists giving paint hours and feedback. It is the lead concept artist. I mean, mm. like you don't always have lead concept artists. So, for example, like right now we are we don't have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Sam granted has been doing amazing work, mm-hmm. catching up literally with everyone, meeting with everyone, but. You know, I can tell that, like, even for her, it's difficult to just like meet with all the concept art team, all the 3D team, like everyone, mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. and the creative board team. You know, it's just like it becomes really difficult. Yeah, um, this, this, yeah so this. not so like sometimes it feels like we sometimes we are more on our own, sometimes less. You know, there's definitely less compl- complexity in in movies. It's more that usually it's more like I am given one task. It's a very it's very simple. Structure. Yeah, it's like do that. And that's the only thing you have to do about it. And you don't really need to worry about anything else. Just do it, fits the brief, and looks good. <laughs> I think actually, you know, although the 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 question that we got originally from whoever gave it to us was a day in the life of. Yeah. I think probably what's also interesting people is like what a project like timeline looks like. Mm-hmm. So let's say that we got a me and Jules got a keyframe. Yeah. I think roughly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. it would look like first day probably often in the afternoon, because it might be an American client most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to jump into a meeting with them. We're going to meet the relevant people. So that might be the director, the production designer, the producers. Mm-hmm. They're going to give us the brief. We're going to ask them questions and we're going to write our own notes. Then we hop into another meeting with our own people and we all talk about it. So mm-hmm. I will say, this is what I got out of the meeting. Then the art director will say, this is what I got out of it. And then the producer will say, this is what I got out of it. And if there's any clashes, we're going to have a discussion about those and try and synthesize the information down. Then probably the next day and that evening, you're going to start working on the images. You're going to start building up your 3D most likely because that's the most common way to do an image in uh, film art. Um, you're going to have this approved at some point and then move on to the keyframes. And this could take, you know, between one day to three days even, to a maybe week. even more. Yeah, yeah even a yeah. week, depending it, on the it, images. It varies how often you need to give it back to the client. Yeah. And then ultimately what happens is all of our timelines will be built around when is the next meeting with the client, mm-hmm. like Jules said. So once, really it's like, a, like, a, like you were saying earlier, it's a very linear approval structure in film. So... I will make something, my art director or creative director will then approve it and mm-hmm. they will say, okay, I think this hits enough of the marks to be sent to the client now. Mm-hmm. That then gets sent to the client and then another meeting is organized between the two producers. So the a vendor side, which is us producer and the client side producer, they organize a meeting where we all get pulled back into the same meeting again mm-hmm. to receive either feedback, a yes or a no, a new brief, whatever else needs to happen. So... Unlike in games where you guys have a lot of team meetings and I feel like, I'm not going to say that film isn't collaborative, but I think games is generally more collaborative because a lot more people get a wider approval mm-hmm. berth mm-hmm. of like, you know, even your, you've said before, like 3D artists get to comment on what they think of the designs and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of that happening no, in film. No. Um, I just send it to them and they make it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you also have an overall view of the movie, of the of the game, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Some, some movies were called in to do an environment or creature. And that's the only thing I'm ever going to touch about the movie. I don't even know and, what's happening. Yeah, really. They won't even tell you what it's yeah. called. It's just, just like, oh, a creature, you know. And sometimes yeah. you do, you, you finish it, and then two years after, it's exactly like you yeah. designed it. Or sometimes yeah. it's just different. Sometimes you don't else... even know you ever worked on the film. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing I find is when uh, is if you get a thing and they won't tell you anything about the movie, and then you send it, and they go, I don't know, it doesn't really fit the vibe of the film. And you're like, well. I don't know what the vibe of the film is because you won't give me the script. <laughs> I wonder if it's, uh, so like, I wonder if, for example, my position would be more comparable to like a position of a concept artist on set, maybe? Or like when uh, Finian worked on, on uh, so, Avatar or something like that. Yeah, I you guess know? you are better than us. No, no, I don't. A bit, though, because, so I, because you are closer. Yeah. Like, for example, right now, I work even directly with the writers on, on the on the game, right? And no, we are like never. building the world lore together, the worlds together. We riff ideas of each other, um, and, and I believe that's that's something that you can only see in games. And I think you will probably see it in games through every part of the production. Probably mm. less so, uh, depending on like where you kind of end up yeah. uh, in the production. But so in my in my onset experience, I've it was quite similar to 
what you're saying. So it's like you wake up, you go to the office, then I just work in a room with other people for the whole day. And I would have create directors or creative directors coming downstairs to meet us. And then we exchange a few things. Maybe they give me a prop design or maybe they give me a set of design. And then I design it for like two or three hours and I come back up. I go talk to the art directors who's designing the set with me. I mean, yeah. I'm helping <laughs> because they're really, really they're, no, they're you're the ones. No, you're in charge. You're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's pretend I am. Um, and then we discuss about my concept. Maybe they're like, oh, you know, like this texture here or like this material is going to change. So we, need, we will need to update this tomorrow or like this doesn't work now that I see it uh, as a concept. And it's a, it's a big discussion back and forth like this, totally. So the, what you said actually can makes a lot of sense. And then I would go back downstairs and maybe, oh, a 911 call for another set or for another prop or whatever. Yeah. And it would be like this. Uh, so I didn't work on set for that long, but probably like a few weeks. And uh, it's it's much more collaborative, for sure. And you it, do oh. get called in physical meetings a lot. And your day can always change uh, yeah. depending on how it goes. I think it depends as well on how collaborative the clients are. Um, I've genuinely found that the longer I've worked on a project, the more input I have. Yeah. So like some movies, mm, I've worked on true. them for like 11 to 12 months, mm -hmm. which is quite, that's very long for a film mm -hmm. artist to be working on something. And the more that I'm in the meetings, the more that they see me there, the more they're going to be asking for my opinion on what I actually think. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the case that you can work on a project for 11 months and nobody still asks your opinion and you're just sitting there and you're like you're like the art meat puppet you know which is <laughs> they're bit, like you do art yeah. we tell okay, you what do to this. do yeah and then other times it's great because people are i guess like humble enough to ask for your advice on a specialization that mm -hmm. you have which i think is ultimately like all of the really great movies i've worked on i feel like the thing that makes them great is that people defer you know i, I think the ones that i've worked on which have had like more problems are the ones where the director or the producer or whoever it is who's in charge is the one who thinks that all of their decisions are going to be right because they're in this position of power rather than realizing that like hey like you know you specialize in something so you're probably okay at it and you probably understand the rules of how to make things look good and mm -hmm. all this other stuff and yeah i sorry that was a bit of a tangent but i mean it's it's always collaborative yeah it but just a different extent yeah yeah different extents and different bubbles of collaboration i guess um but yeah, at the end, we all work eight hours per day. We all have lunch breaks. And uh, it's nice to meet people sometimes as well and go to the office. Um, so yeah, I think that, I, go, I hope that's understand that. Day in the life, you know. Yeah. Sorry? That hopefully that's good enough for day in the life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots of meetings, more meetings than you thought. That would be my TLDR. Yeah. yeah. In games is even like more than oh, you yeah, want. I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can't it's imagine. No, you can't. It's too I much can't. for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my brain is melting now. I'm like, it's like, <gasps> this is your Cthulhu. Yeah, <laughs> more meetings. It's a tentacular meeting room. Yeah. Um. Cool. Should we move on? Yeah. So now it's my turn. Let's go. Seven, ask me what my thing is. What's your thing, Dan? Actually, to be honest, I forgot now. So wow, brutal. I will. Whoa. Um, I also forgot. I also forgot. It's gonna be interesting. Okay. Genuine reaction. Should we try and guess? Uh, no, that's gonna be no. painfully long. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about analyzing references and synthesizing imagery. Mm. Wow. Oh, yeah, very cool, huh? <laughs> um, so this is something that actually came up from, um, as, as I talk about from time to time, like I, I love to do mentoring. And this is something that came up with one of the students that I was mentoring a while ago. Um, so just give you like a brief overview of how I even started to think about this and we can talk about it. But essentially what happened was, uh, the person I was tutoring was um, designing some stuff. And let's say that they were, I don't know, designing like a rocket shoe or something, right? Essentially, what was happening was the person was taking a shoe and taking a rocket, and then they would just like put the two things together. And what I kind of came to realize was over multiple weeks of working with them was that they weren't really synthesizing imagery together so by that i mean like taking the core fundamental aspects of a reference and using those kind of core parts of it to build new things mm -hmm. and i found this really interesting because it kind of reminded me um you know for all of us we've been in the industry for a while now we've also been doing concept art for a while but for those of you who are newer to this when you look at references you might look at them as just two things that exist yeah. um i just wanted to talk about like how you guys go about actually breaking down what a reference is, how you pull it apart, and then how you put it back together to make something interesting. I think for referencing, 
there's a process which is quite important. Um, and I'm, I guess I can say what my process is. If I do have a clear idea of what I'm going to do, yeah. I'm probably going to go on Pinterest or online and just get a PRF file and just put a shit ton of images. Mm-hmm. I'm not worrying too much about what I put at the moment. I just, if I see an image that either has some part of a design I like, some overall shape I like, some color I like, yeah. I put it there. Very important that while I pick them, I can still analyze why I like it. You know, There's always one element. Uh, so what are the elements that you look for in a reference? Um, the details, texture details, yeah. for example. But for example, I would pick, I don't know, if I'm designing a, a gun yeah. and there's a car that has amazing rust on it, yeah. that would be here. But it's not because my gun is going to look like a car. It's because I like the, the yeah. rust details on it. So you're, you're, you're taking the fundamental parts yeah. of each thing and breaking it exactly. down. Exactly. Yeah. But then, so... After maybe, I don't know, half an hour, I have like 60 images on the mood board. Yeah. And then I'm going to do the work of analyzing each image and seeing, like maybe keeping 10, 10 maximum. And hopefully also having one main ref. So the main ref is, if I do find one, is going to be a ref which has, I don't know, at least two or three elements of my design, which I like, you know, maybe the, the you know, again, if it's a gun, it's like it has a very cool rhythm or a very cool texture and maybe a cool uh, design language, which I'm kind of trying to go towards. And then each of my references, if they have anything that repeats themselves with another, I'm going to kill it, you know? Yeah. So I'm just going to keep the 10 references, which really synthesize, synthesize, yeah, what's I'm, what I like about it. So I don't you know i don't need 20 rust images i just need one that really explains it so what so what you're looking for in references is like texture shape design detail design and distribution color colors uh, i would say functionality functionality i yeah. was going to say yeah. Function, like if it's an architecture why is it this yeah. kind of architecture yeah. mood lighting as well mood yeah and lighting i tr- really try really try to avoid any art yeah, totally. Uh, especially concept art, you know? I think um, that's a really good point because if you look at, um, I hate to call them out because the, the, the most toxic community, the anime fans, you know, <laughs> the worst. Um, <laughs> you were once part of that. I am. I'm really excited for the finale of Attack on Titan to come out. It's coming out. We should do like a little watch party. You guys haven't watched it. but oh, yeah, we, watch, we should watch, do it like a 28 hours watch party to catch up. <laughs> Dude, the, I'm very excited for it. But anyway, um, the sorry, I got distracted by that. What was I talking about? Oh, anime. Right. One of the things that I think, although um, Miyazaki is famously a little bit of a bastard man, um, go watch anything with him in. By the way, like as a real human being, and just see how awful he is for a man who makes such yeah. friendly art. Um, but one thing that he has said, like repeatedly, which I think is really on point, is that anime is super incestuous. Right. It's essentially an art style. Not an art style in whole, but like a lot of it is just derived from itself. Mm-hmm. So if you look at like some of the more kind of quote unquote, uh, I guess like common styles, or like if you look at the majority of the shows that come out, uh, like Sword Art Online, I think is a very good example. It's a very unoriginal style and it kind of just like apes off of loads of other styles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think you you really want to avoid that in concept art. Pretty much you want to avoid your concept art looking like quote unquote concept art. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way to do that is, yeah, like you said, to look at original references in the real world rather than constantly looking at stuff which already exists within the industry that you exist in. Being open-minded, you know, like if you design a gun, maybe looking at a butterfly can be insanely interesting or yeah. like as a bird, you know, or like how the, the mechanism or like, you know, like some the, the weed picker has like a tongue that goes around a skull. Yeah. Like so many, like be open-minded and also go beyond the, the, the visual literal description the literal description of your reference i think that's a great point because the thing with the student i was talking about previously was that he was taking things too literally mm-hmm. and i think the thing that started to fix it was we came up with another exercise that allowed him to start thinking more about the abstract of what was going on so like you said with a with a woodpecker the tongue goes around their skull mm-hmm. right so what are the different parts of, besides like the visuals, the shapes, the textures, all this other stuff, what other references can we get from this information? Like, okay, could it be a type of drum magazine for a gun, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. where it wraps around inside of the barrel or something like that? Or like, or like, or like something to uh, to minimize the recoil. Yeah, exactly. You know? 
is like you know, like woodpeckers can take extreme force to their head mm-hmm. because they have like protection inside, right? So is that something that you can make? Could you make a helmet design Off which that, yeah. yeah includes that idea of like having padding and extreme recoil? Uh, could you strap a gun to a helmet and put the helmet on somebody's head and they shoot it from their head, but mm. in whatever way it's built, it protects them, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, taking the like super abstract of like what something is, whether it's a woodpecker, a car, or a light bulb or whatever, and, and then seeing what you can make in terms of fresh ideas from that abstract. I think as an example with the woodpecker and, and the helmet and the gun, the perfect example of what not to do yeah. is to literally... Put a gun stitch, in the woodpecker. Yeah, stitch damage, you know. Or like, oh, I'm going to make the, the gun wood, woodpecker shape. Yeah. Because that's my reference. That's like the exact ref- the way not to do it. It's more, as you said, the, the concept, the idea. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's very important to spend the time for each reference to really ask yourself, what am I taking from these references? Mm-hmm. If you if it's a repeat from another one, you kill it. And if it's... um. And if it's like you just you like the shape and you really want to copy this, then maybe put it somewhere else on your mood board. Yeah. That because you know that, you know, I really like the way that the FAMAS works, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be like really like you're literally going to copy the buttons from it or like yeah, the yeah, selector, yeah. whatever. Just know that this is a ref which you're going to use for shapes or copying. Um, yeah. Um, I would also say that this is like a great way to world build essentially yeah. like come up with ideas for mm-hmm. world building where you take like an animal and kind of figure out their function by function being like maybe some sort of an adaptation they have to life that other animals don't um, let's say uh, I mean I was armadillo. Doing, armadillo yeah so they they curl into like a little uh, armored ball. Armored ball, yeah. And that could and then once you have that, then you kind of think of what could be an interesting world that has this function, you know. Uh like what do humans do that they could use this function for? You know, maybe it's well, I mean it's used for protection, right? So maybe people have either houses that like roll themselves into these little balls, or maybe they the people have uh, maybe they live on a planet with meteorites that come down yeah. and they mm-hmm. build their houses with like these armored carapaces to protect themselves from yeah. meteorites and whenever there's a meteorite it kind of like gets into this protection or form what if it's an armadillo like armadillos have like long tongues I think right to, or yeah. like, there's an anteater maybe and I think yeah. armadillos as well maybe. I, I, I think anyway, as well yeah whatever Just so we take that like the way an armadillo eats and then you say like okay well now it's like a fantasy world where uh, the main food source for humans is like ants' nests or like some weird or, alien bug that's high in protein, and they have like some tool that allows them to scoop exactly. them out. And that's, that's very how long. The, the society is built around this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is a really great suggestion, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then once you once you have that, then you think of maybe a culture that could fit into this. So the culture is definitely the third thing you think of. Um, otherwise, you're trying to like rig things together that don't, might might not work. So you have the armadillo. You have the, you have the idea of like them eating and scooping things out, and then you think like, what's like a culture? Where would this be happening? Maybe it's like in a desert, and then what's the desert culture that you know of? That's like mm-hmm. for this, or or if it's like in a forest. I don't know forest culture. But yeah, uh, that's like one of the great ways to start an interesting world building project. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what I've been doing as well for like Grand Fair's course, uh, and it's something that I kind of struggled with because uh, the first week I was doing this, I really had no clue how to do it, and then I kind of like came down from my from my room, and Riz and Daniel were there, and then we just did a bunch of like exercises of like you know asking questions and building these ideas until I finally had an idea that actually worked mm. and then build it for a project. Which I think as well, a lot of what we were talking about when we were talking about these things was about, hey, what are you taking from the information? Because a lot of your ideas were very literal, which is what we were previously discussing, right? And yeah. then once we started to kind of almost like, like we were literally like playing a game almost while we were having a drink where we were going like, okay, uh, a fucking tarantula society what does that look like and then we'd all come up with our own ideas of what a tarantula society came up with and then we'd all like agree on whose idea was the best yeah which was quite fun actually in a way it's it's almost like when you do sketches you iterate to find a good design when you do referencing and kind of ideation phase but without even sketching you can also have to iterate a bit and and that way you can come up with better designs usually um 
when I look at reference, I kind of like also to just draw at the same time. So I would almost draw my reference like a study. But yeah, then I, but then I, I would try to good, just yeah, go like, oh, what if I do that? And then after half an hour, I just came up with a few good ideas I like. And then I'm going to look for references for those new ideas. And that's going to give me a few more new ideas looking at new references. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's quite helpful to come up with original stuff. I think as well, something to, to think about is, uh, I've just been looking up on Google what I'm trying to find. It's uh, There's a lecture called uh, Growing Your Iceberg by N.K. Jemison, which is really great. Uh, I actually referenced it for my university project. I think it's based off Brandon Sanderson's work. But it's this idea that like when you're doing world building, what you're really trying to do is you're creating an iceberg. And an iceberg has like, you know, a mile below the surface and a tiny bit above mm. the surface. So what we show when we create an image, uh, whatever it is that we decided to create, we're just showing the top 10 mm. to 5% of visual information. But with that 10 to 5%, you want to imply another 90% below mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So creating an interesting idea and using your references to create ideas, which ask more questions rather than answering everything. So like we were talking about that meteorite society thing, that's the visual, which we're telling where the concept are. And then the questions that you might go on for are like, okay, what happened? Are there meteors that are big enough to crush these things? Mm. Uh, what kind of food do these people eat? What's their technology yeah. like because like of this stuff? Yeah, Do they travel around? Yeah, yeah. Do they travel? And, and I think what's great to think about is like, can you also imply that information with the tiny bit of five to 10% of stuff that you show? You know, it's that whole thing of like a, what's the thing in writing? Tell, tell uh, don't. Sh show, don't tell. Yeah, show, don't tell. And I think that's also a, a mistake with many projects is that, you know, if, if you, if you're showing, if, if someone is showing me a creature design and for me to understand what it is, you need to tell me, talk to me for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's not a good design. Yeah. That was funny because actually I remember Stefan, when we first got to know each other, he had written this oh, like yeah. insane script about mm -hmm. this like like water planet with acid rain, wasn't it? It was based on a short story, but I wrote like... It was, you wrote, you had like a fucking document about the world building. <laughs> and I had two world building projects at the same time. Both of them were, had like lots of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. about them written. And then I remember talking to you about it and I, I, I remember saying something like, I think you, maybe you could do this to like make the narrative of the image work better and you were like no 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 because that has to be there and you were like let me just find the page and you'd like go through your word <laughs> document and you'd be like yeah. okay so on page six i wrote that the acid rain does this and that has to be caught and diluted into the atmosphere by this specific type of plot which i have put in that part of the frame and i was like whoa 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 <laughs> i've too much yeah. i think simplify like yeah. you, you cannot go wrong simplifying your projects yeah uh of course, to an extent, right? Yeah. You, don't want, you don't want just a ball, furry, furry ball. Yeah. Although that could be a fun. The Edge Chronicles have furry balls, yeah. which is a great, that's a great book about world building. Yeah. Uh, the Edge Chronicles, really good book series. I loved reading it as a kid. They have in the, the first book is called Into the Deep Woods, mm -hmm. which is just like really fun world building exercise about being in the forest. And one of the creatures that they meet in the forest is this little furry ball and when they first meet them there's like a crowd of them and you know they're like little fluffy cute things and then they open up and they are like the piranhas of the forest and so for the rest of the book they're like these extremely terrifying antagonists yeah. that can just like eat everything yeah but in that context it was a great bit of world building to add yeah but that's great but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah but that could be a great concept art piece right no i agree yeah. you, you see a few furry balls in the foreground you have one which has a mouth open looks yeah, terrifying yeah, yeah. and that's easy to describe aggressive furry ball three words yeah that's it you got it you know yeah, I think it's. I think it's a. It's a good point. It's to sometimes I. I also seen that with people like when they do a project and it's just like this overly complicated backstory that they're giving and I'm not seeing any of it in the image and I'm like, what are you talking about? What the heck? It's like this is what he says to himself in the mirror when he writes a project. <laughs> well, I, I surprisingly I don't write projects anymore. It's also because you know, let's say you have a monkey and the forest is blue. Yeah. Or like maybe like only a few leaves in the forest are blue because it's actually a special tree that you design and all that. Yeah. But it's going to look like a mistake on your image. It's going to look like... Yeah, true. People are, people are going to be cool monkey, cool cool stuff, but what, what, what the fuck are those like three blue leaves? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it looks like a mistake. So just remove it. There's no point. Just like with value structures and colors and focal points and all these theories about art, it's essential to remember that, you know, 
somebody should be able to look at your image and understand everything that's happening in a few seconds. And somebody should be able to look at your image and understand the world as well in yeah. a few seconds. If people are looking at it, and yeah, like like you said earlier, like they you have to explain it. And that is where the enjoyment comes from. Then you're not doing a great job of selling yeah. that world. Or if you're really keen on showing your blue tree, then make it just, fucking blue. Yeah, or just, just make like that the the monkeys are on this specific tree, you know? So yeah. it's not in the background. They are on the foreground, on a specific tree, interacting with the tree. So everything is linked together and it becomes more part of your storytelling rather than something random in the background totally. that someone is going to be confused about. Totally. Uh, uh, cool. I mean, uh, I think that's all good. I mean, generally just like, yeah, what I, I think the takeaway from this is like, just learn to break down information into its like component parts rather than just taking the boot and the rocket and sticking them together. There's mm -hmm. so many cool things you can come up with. And I think it's a great exercise as well to look at other people's art and to see what kind of ideas they might have looked at to do that, almost to like kind of uh, reverse engineer things. You, you you did come up with a very interesting exercise though. Do you want to talk about this or? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, we can talk about it. So yeah, the exercise I came up with, um, I guess it's not like, I'm sure somebody else has come up with something similar, but essentially what we did was to help him, like, yeah, come up with this kind of, I, I guess, improve his ability, really, at, like, how he looks at references. What we did was I told him to go away and get two random objects from his friends every day. So whether that's a rocket and a boot, a, a frog and a car, a cup and a baseball bat, and to try and come up with just like in five minutes, so literally five ideas in five minutes, tiny crappy little sketches, um, whatever you can do in a minute essentially, and to try and quickly come up with multiple ideas which all use different aspects of the references. So if you're doing rockets and shoes, one of the aspects you're going to take from the shoes is that they are used for walking. Another idea you might take from them is that they're rubber soled, so they have like kind of reverb protection, right? Another aspect is that they might be lace up or have like Velcro, you know, to like tie somebody in. Um, another aspect could be with certain shoes, they're like steel capped, so they're good for like breaking things, yeah? With the rockets, you're going to take this idea of like, okay, they're used for propulsion. Um, maybe they're also used as weapons. Yeah, weapons blow stuff up. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're there to, I don't know, like, bring you into the atmosphere or whatever you know and you doing something potentially like oh they have like different stages of like breakdown if it's like a space rocket right maybe it's a shoe mm -hmm. that the faster you run more of it breaks away or something right? oh it reminds me of uh of certain anime red which line. one's the red line red, line. red yeah. line's awesome it's funny you also directly came to my mind uh, <laughs> it's like red just line. seeing the car break down as it goes yeah. But okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So doing that, I think you know, if you're somebody who you think like maybe you, you're feeling like you struggle with coming up with original ideas and taking information and breaking it down, it's a great little thing to do. And I found that it really helped him a lot. And it's definitely something that if I have students in the future that are struggling with it, I'm going to get them to do the same exercise. I think the key element here is also the speed because yeah. you you want it to become more of a almost like a impulse. Yeah. Yeah. Like you should you should because if you take too much of your time then you might overthink. Yeah. And I think you don't want to overthink. You just want to be like, okay, uh, whatever comes to your mind, do it. I don't know about sketching it in one minute, but coming up with idea... Yeah, but it just can be a bad sketch. It doesn't have to be yeah. a good sketch. Yeah. I think it's like the thing of like committing to it by putting it down on the paper mm. in a short yeah. amount of time. Um, and I think ultimately, like, you know, it's that thing of like, as you practice things, you get better at it. So, you know, I remember when I was having to learn about value structures... I struggled so much with it, but over time now, it is an impulse, right? Like I can, what used to be like three hours of thinking is now three seconds of thinking. Yeah. Where I'm just like, yep, yeah, okay, bang, done. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think it's like helping your little brain computer get used to the kind of computations you have to make and then being able to do it quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker to the point where it becomes second nature mm -hmm. that when you look at a reference, you're going like, okay, here's all of the individual parts. It's like one of those um, exploded views in engineering you get where yeah. you have the car and then it like explodes down, you have all the bolts and screws coming out and things like that. And the reason why it's so important to do it with references is, is because if you fuck it up, yeah. then most likely your whole project will be bad or will be, <laughs> not, you know, because in, in yeah. references are quite important. So yeah. it's so really that it's worth taking the time to make sure it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, starting a project with a good idea definitely helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You can you can polish a turd as much as you want. It's still yeah. going to be a turd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wise words. Wise words. Stefan, On what that is note, your subject? Uh, when you polish turds. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. When you polish turds, um, 
sometimes with polishing a turd are certain uh, techniques that you can use. <laughs> <laughs> and they're called photometric. <laughs> what the fuck? No, I don't know. Bad transition. I couldn't figure it out. Let's let's skip the transition. What's your subject? My subject is the shortcuts to art, essentially. And mm-hmm. to do to do co- let's call it Shortcuts good, to concept to good art. concept art. Yeah. You know, let's call it good concept art. Um, and what those are, because I think we talked a lot about fundamentals on here, but I think it's important to call, also mention the shortcuts that everyone uses and even in different parts of their career. And um, yeah, so essentially I wanted to bring this up because every now and then I see people with portfolios where I can see that they are really focused on the fundamentals. They are focusing on their perspective. They're focusing on their painting ability, on their lighting even, but because they are not, because they focus on them so much, they kind of are in this realm where if they just spend like a few months using learning how to use 3D or like learning how to photo bash, they would be able to make progressively even better images, even faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. so what are your shortcuts that you use? So, yeah, essentially my shortcuts would be photo bashing for sure. Um, and even looking at a very good like lighting reference, I think can be a good shortcut. And even on, in the case that when we were saying like, oh, you don't look for art people, like you don't look artworks as reference. But I think sometimes, especially if you look at like traditional master painters, it's good to kind of like look how they did paintings, how they did lighting to, and break it down and to understand it, maybe use it in your image. Um, and then 3D, for sure. Lighting in 3D is very, very powerful. Um, I I usually do like mix of 3D and photo bash and painting. I don't, recently I haven't been doing work that I start and do everything in 3D. I would only do in 3D like small parts or like small parts of my things like let's say uh an environment that i'm designing but what i really use 3d for is perspective like Mm -hmm. i am no way as good as some of these perspective legends like scott robertson there's no way i could you know i could properly foreshorten buildings like exactly how they should be and like even people and stuff like that so uh, I, I, you know, I use I use my 3D for perspective and like it helps you out a lot. Uh, I even set up my perspective grids in 3D. So like I just have a perspective grid that's set up in 3D and I use that even when I start to do my sketches. I like look around and that way, boom, I don't have to worry about perspective. So all of a sudden my perspective is a lot better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, let's say I am struggling with lighting. I light up like a bunch of cubes or even like very basic uh, buildings or whatever. And okay, now I know how to kind of follow that. Um, yeah, so I think the photo bashing 3D are great shortcuts uh, that people should use, uh, especially once they kind of already are at the point where they kind of know how to paint, but they know that they can't paint like Kirk Mullins. And it's going to take you like 25 fucking years probably to get there. So I think it's good to remember though that whilst 3D and photo bash are important parts of the industry, I think it's also great to keep in mind that you can eventually learn over time to not be so reliant on these things. And that's honestly a positive thing to remember is like, if you're a person who really likes painting and you feel like you're being forced to learn 3D, you probably are being forced to learn it for immediate entry into the industry. But just remember that over time, you can build up less and less reliance, become a better painter and eventually become a good enough painter that maybe in your career, you don't have to use these Mm -hmm. tools at all. Totally. Um, And also I think what boils down to what you said, Stefan, is know your tools and know what each tool brings you, you know? Like you use 3D because it brings you something that you need to go faster. You use photo bashing because it brings you something that you need to go faster. So yeah, you can learn everything in the world and become good at it, but then you can also just learn the specific tools that you know help you and get to the point much faster. And as Daniel said afterwards, you can always come back and, you know, learn more fundamentals, learn whatever you want, change your process. Um, so, yeah, d- definitely ask yourself how, what 3D brings to me. And if you feel like you can do that in 2D faster, then do it in 2D. Yeah. If in the opposite as well. Um, I've got a few shortcuts which are a bit different, but it's more like 
Shortcut, shortcuts. Yeah, it's like Fog. it's, it's like <laughs> Control Z, guys. Have you ever heard about it? <laughs> no, but it's yeah. I was gonna say fog to be fair, yeah, but first could, something I, else. I knew it. <laughs> if you want to do a nice image, don't try to be creative too hard, right? Just look at rule of thirds, look at composition mm. basics, and implement them. Honestly, you cannot go wrong with a rule of third if you follow it, and there's no point to try something too original if you're a beginner or if you're trying to get something out quick. I think, you know, following basic uh, composition rules are, they're going to give you good results every time. Yeah, and nearly every great painter, if you look at their work, yeah. follows basic rules yeah. every time. And, you know, that way you don't have to spend five hours base dating on what you're going to do, rule of thirds or whatever basic rule, and you're going to come up with, uh, they exist because they're good, right? And yeah. People use it because they work. Um, and then for value structure or just, for readability in your image, fog is big the best, saver. The best thing possible in the world. Like, in my opinion, I I'm trying not to use it too much because you know it still needs to make sense. Mm. But every time you need to have depth mm-hmm. um, to read, or you need a character that needs to pop out, or whatever you want to be visible or to be a key of your image, use fog. Use the Z depth pass of your render, and just like this is gonna be so easy to figure out um, depth one more thing if you use photoshop i mean you use photoshop when you paint just always have a illustration layer on top of your image which is set to black and white and just check your values quite often that way you're sure that you're not going to paint for five hours and mess up your values um yeah uh mine are like you know, I mean, you guys thought those are shortcuts. I've got, now I've got real shortcuts up here. Mid-journey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, using a lot of 3D, I need to make it look a little bit more painfully because you're on a quick deadline. Acviz and tools like Acviz are a massive help. These are programs that give you essentially filtered paint strokes. Uh, they're very similar to what you get in Photoshop. Uh, essentially, the filters like posterize and oil paint. paint. Du- dupes or whatever it's called. Yeah, but just much better. Uh, super useful to break up the 3D-ness of an image, uh, which is something you have to do really anyway. So it's either manually spend 10 hours painting everything or run this filter on the lowest possible value across everything just to give minor breakup across mm-hmm. all of it. Super, super useful. And and that is, that is like a lifesaver tool. You know, and mm. it's especially when you you're drowning. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, please, somebody help me, and and you press activate. Yeah, <laughs> no, but you know, like if you get to point A to point Z, qua- uh, quest fast. That's the real word, fast. Then you know you you activate. You know, it's gonna make your render look more painterly and. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a really good tool. Um, I think there's also lots of other cool things to use. Um, again, like I think these are real shortcuts, like real, real, real shortcuts is like go into Photoshop. And if you want to create a realistic image, learn how to effectively use grain to combine together your photo bashing elements, your 3D, your painting. Uh, Grain is super common in a lot of concepts, even in like really, really high fidelity ones. And again, it helps comp an image together more successfully. Chromatic aberration, which Mm -hmm. is also another really useful kind of filter effect you can add over the top. Blur as well. Blurs, yeah. although blurs, I think specifically are for photo real images, and yeah. they're very specific. I, I wouldn't recommend anybody uses blurs unless you're going for really hyper real look, mm-hmm. um, because ultimately that is a camera effect, yeah. um, and it can look very, very out of place in a lot of images. If if you want to make something that feels realistic, just pin- pinpointing what are camera artifacts, which is like noise that you said, chromatic yeah. aberration, blur, that kind of stuff, and and seeing how you can implement them can really make an image, when implemented well, of course, and when it's the right context, it can really make an image look okay to looking like, wow, so cinematic, so professional. Yeah. Not a look that I'm super uh, a big fan of, to be honest, but again, it does help you get there. Um, Other stuff, like if you, here's a good one, again, talking about bringing an image together in the end, if you create an image and you paint at like 8K, and then at the end, you compress it down to a 3K resolution, it automatically, due to the compression of the image, brings together all of your elements. Even even more, like another shortcut, the other way around, when you take bring in an image that's really low res, you make it bigger, and then you start painting over it, it will look inherently more painterly. <laughs> because of all the artifacts <laughs> exactly, in the Exactly, because of all the artifacts uh, in the image, you know? So, you know. There's some artists who do that really effectively, actually. I think that's often to do a little bit more with, like, what's available on the internet that you can just rip off. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and then other stuff like 
yeah, guys, Kitbash, we've spoken about the evils of Kitbash, but it can also be super useful. Mm. It's a great idea to invest in, I would say, like some generic 3D assets that you think you're going to get a lot of use out of. Um, so one that I've used a fair bit is uh, the mech squad, not the kit parts of it, actually, but the characters. Um, I personally like to design all my little bits of my yeah. vehicles. But Daniel has enough uh, kit bash from his own hard surface yeah. that he <laughs> over the years. <laughs> but the characters are super useful. And, or, uh, no, it's just great to have a generic one to throw in that you can mm. photo bash quickly over. Yep. For characters, uh, I'm a big advocate of Daz. I think yep. Daz is very powerful because you get to pose your characters. And I probably spent, I don't know, probably like a hundred pounds in Daz, which isn't that much for the quantity of different assets I've got. Yep. And it's like outfits, you know, and if you if you get like 10 different outfits in Daz, then you can just mix match them. And then you can, it, it can get you to a point in a concept where yep. you just have to either kind of kitbash and modify in 3D to make new outfits or just paint over in, in 2D. Yeah, I have like and, two yeah. dresses that I use for yeah. any dress in, in yeah. my images. Like if I need a dress, I use my dad's dress mm. and then I will cut it up in Blender a little bit yeah. or just paint over it to change the shape into whatever I need it to be. I think it's quite nice to have generic... If you can have generic assets for a lot of different genres, yeah. Uh, genres, yeah, then it's like great because you can just, you know, if you want a Viking and you have a Viking asset, if you want to... A Roman, a Roman guide, and maybe you can use some of the Viking asset uh, to generate some of the Roman elements, and and so on. So on. I think the important thing though is that when you have generic assets, that you make sure that you make them unique. So don't just throw in a uh, like that's a big pet peeve of mine when people just make stuff out of big, medium, small asset packs, and that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like yeah, it's totally cool to use those assets, but then if you're using like the cowboy asset pack photo bash over the rider to make them not look like the original asset mm -hmm. paint over it add more of your own thought into what's going on and add elements that add to the narrative um yeah stuff i just wanted to also talk about um what using these shortcuts can get you other than like being faster and potentially doing higher quality artwork and i think the you know the thing that i bring up about the you know even the shortcuts of photo bashing and stuff like that is and like 3d and perspective and lighting is that um you you are essentially skipping fundamentals what you're doing by using these tools uh, or shortcuts uh, in some way like they allow you to skip some fundamentals but you still need to know the fundamentals so you can like modify them but they also will help you to learn the fundamentals a bit more, you know? Because when you start to photo bash, they, it teaches you about, okay, what is a photoreal image? Okay, how do I break it down? Okay, how do I paint these trees? Still make them like painterly, but I need to make them like photoreal looking, you know? And it's just something that you don't think about until you start doing it, including even 3D, like it helps you with lighting uh, and like teaches you more about lighting. Like as soon as, as soon as you start lighting things in 3D, you have to look into cinematic lighting and like how other people set it up and stuff like that. So it, it really is a thing that forces you to develop beyond maybe what you think. And yeah, honestly, I mean, unless you have like masters right next to you teaching you, it's difficult, man. I think trying to analyze what you're doing when you do it uh, or like why you're doing such thing will help you uh, understand it a bit better, you know? Or like if you do, if you have a render and you're painting on top of the render, if you color pick, try also to st just, when you paint over, just try and think a bit more of what you're doing rather than just doing it. Uh, because maybe when you have to actually paint everything from scratch, you can use some of this knowledge. Um, Jules, that sounds like a thought cut, not a shortcut. <laughs> yeah you have to think more yeah i thought it was pretty funny anyway um <laughs> just uh just to round this out um i i just wanted to end with like this thing related to what you're saying which is when i was a student i had this discussion actually with kev who i've spoken about many times who was one of my like the guys who got me to where i am really as an artist and i remember saying to him I was doing this painting and I was like, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I, I think if I put some fog in, it would look better. I think if I added these elements in, I think if I did a bit of photo bashing here. And I was like, but I just don't want to cheat, man. I don't want to take the shortcuts. I want to make it good without all of the other things. And the piece of advice he gave to me, which I give to everybody who listens to this, is very simple. He said, Daniel, everybody uses the shortcuts. So just fucking use them. He was like, 
everybody from the masters of concept art to the masters of fine art in the fucking renaissance period used shortcuts an image is really just a large collection of shortcuts and the more that you know how to use those shortcuts and what's behind them the better you're going to be so yeah thank you great cool um anyway with what an inspiring statement to end on um amazing daniel thank I you mean, let's have a quick shortcut to the end credits <laughs> so yeah that'll be the end for today's episode we really hope you enjoyed listening and if you want more please feel free to subscribe and ring the notification bell we release episodes every two weeks and if you want any more additional information about the podcast or the event be sure to check out our instagram linked in the description below thanks again and we'll see you all soon bye take care bye bye